the world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve 8 from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layer timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve 8 is available from $995. Current users can download the update for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagic-design.com What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this week I'm going to be interviewing Mary Jo Markey. Now, she's cut Lost, Star Trek, Super 8, and then this week we're going to focus on Mission Impossible 3. Afterwards, Lauren and I are going to talk about the Cutting Room's new site, so make sure to stick around for that. But do you think a lot of people don't listen to the whole podcast? Uh, like, are, do we have a lot of, like, um, premature evacuations? We might. <laughs> Right. That was so tricky. <laughs> I got tricky, tricky. Um, but you're welcome, world. Why don't Why don't we let our listeners listen to this interview? <laughs> okay. And we're gonna come back with the forward film review contest, the cutting room webpage, and uh, more. Fantastic. So enjoy this interview. I'll jump to Mission Impossible. Yeah, how'd you like cutting the Mission Impossible scenes, like the um, missions I guess you know how from the movie shows I, I loved actually that was one thing then every once in a while we do to, to if we can go if I can go back to that question every once in a while we will say if you don't mind I would like to cut this scene and I don't think either one of us has ever said no I want to cut it you know yeah. she says she wants to cut something I say fine but I in Mission Impossible there were two things I really wanted to cut one was the opening scene with Tom Cruise in that chair, yeah, yeah, yeah. just because I looked at those dailies and I knew I could really cut it great. I just looked at them and I, I loved. He, I thought he did such a good job. He did every kind of emotional transition from the desperation to the anger, from pulling back from the anger to the pleading. You know, yeah. deciding on his next manipulative move. And I just looked at it and thought, it that seems like if you don't show every one of those little transitions, mm -hmm. it's not going to work. But you had to do it in a really shorthand way. Yeah. And I just can't reveal this, what's going on. I, I just really thought it was going to be a great scene. And I saw. I remember I said that. And then I'm half Italian, so I really wanted to do that mission to Italy. So that and that was was really a fun sequence to do that whole thing where they go to the Vatican. And Did they shoot any of that in Italy, or was it oh, mostly yeah. shot? Okay, because oh, yeah, it, it was. I was like, that looks too good to be a set. Like it looks yeah, too. Yeah, no, it was. They that they starting with the. Um, I think my section. I cut that opening, and then and all the sort of getting to know you stuff, which is I often do that part of the of the stuff. I love establishing character and. I often do do that in, in uh, I did it in Star Trek, I did it in Super 8, and I did do it in, and I did it in Mission Impossible too. And then Marianne did like the factory chase and the, the factory rescue and the helicopter mm -hmm. chase and all that stuff and, the, and like the first sort of visit to the um, mission headquarters. And then I took it back over on like, you know, the, the, the argument that uh, Jonathan Rhys Myers mm -hmm. and, and Ethan have in the street in in Italian in oh, the street yeah, yeah, in yeah, Rome, yeah. so they can like leave the leave the truck and create yeah. all that stuff and create all the the chaos. Starting from there, that's in Italy, yeah. and I think 
except like the when they're in the uh, catacombs. Yeah, or that's all stage. Yeah. But all those like like the marble pillars. And I was looking at them and I was like, yeah, that all looks that almost stuff. perfect. Like you can't. I can't remember where it is, but there's a famous like palace or cathedral or something mm-hmm. like that that's often used to double the Vatican in Italy, and they they went there. Did you go back to the original show at all, or to the original movies, or did you I've seen that original show. Yeah. I remember liking it. I thought it was fun. Um, I don't, I think I saw it when I was young. I don't think I really understood it, but I remember thinking I liked all those masks mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think I kind of remember watching it. And it did seem like, I remember J.J., one of his goals was to, and I know, I've, I know he's said this in a lot of interviews, one of his goals was to um, get back that feeling of the team working mm-hmm. together. And I thought that was one of the things that was really successful about the film. Mm-hmm. That you did have this kind of fun rubbing shoulders and making it work as a group. And yeah. you know, it, it was, I thought it was really successful on that level. Now, in the, in the Vatican sequence, there's the shot in the, in the catacombs where they switch Tom Cruise with. Oh, right. I wanted to talk to you about that because it's a very interesting cut because it appears as one shot in, in that you're going around behind one actor showing Tom Cruise and coming back around and going back around and it's Tom Cruise with the mask on. And How did you approach cutting this? Was it done in one shot or uh, using No, it was done in two because okay. we had to switch out the actors. Yeah, but like... Um, like, I'm just wondering because uh, the mask is on and then it tightens up on his face. Right. It's that weird. part of it is yeah. all visual effects. Yeah. That was, it's interesting that you commented on that because I think that was one of the first shots that we ever turned over to visual effects in mm-hmm. that show. That's how long it took them to do it and to do oh, it wow. well. But yeah, it had to be done in two shots because starting out it was Tom. And then as we crossed behind Ving's back, yeah. it, that sh- it, we cut to a shot that was... Uh, uh, Philip. Philip, thank Philip you. But it was really, you know, when when the cut was made, it was really Philip mm-hmm. sitting there. But the CG obvious work obviously made it look like it was just a rubbery, you know, Philip sitting there. I mean, there was a, a mask, a piece of rubber mask put on him that eventually became him, mm-hmm. and we were all over that shot. Like we looked at hundreds of, no, I should say hundreds, but dozens of versions of that shot. And I mean, really with a fine tooth comb, we were constantly like on them about like, you cannot have a change happen when Ving is not doing something, you know? I mean, we, I think it ended up looking pretty Look darn I, I missed good. It. That's it. Like, <laughs> like I, I was sitting there and I was like, wait a second. And I like rewound and watched the scene again when I was watching it. So the first film in the Mission Impossible series, I thought it was really successful, but one of the things that critics said was that it was very confusing for some people. How did you approach cutting this film to make sure that everything flowed smoothly and didn't... Was not confusing? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'd had two years in the alias cutting rooms and Marianne had five and JJ, I don't know how many he'd had, but that was, I mean, alias was an incredible jumping off point, I guess, or I mean, it was a great training ground for preparing to do something like this. I mean, my hat's off to those writers and it was a really fun show, but literally every single episode 
we would end up kind of after we'd screen the director's cut and then we would look at each other and say, do you understand what just happened? And the answer would always be, it seemed like it would always be no. It would always be, you know, even, even though I cut it and I would think that I understood it while I was cutting it, I would, it was just always too complicated. It was always too, too something, you know, we would always end up with these places where we were writing off-camera ADR and, you know, stealing a shot from an episode the week before so that we could create this moment where we could have Dixon say this or, you know, Sydney say that or Jack Bristow say that. So we were really used to teasing out the moments that were causing the confusion and fixing them. I have no doubt that we did plenty of that on MI3 Mm -hmm. and that it was something that they were already watching out for. I'm sure we, I'm sure there was tons of off-camera ADR in that, in that movie to make sure that that didn't happen. And JJ doesn't like to frustrate, he doesn't like to spoon feed the viewer, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't like to frustrate the viewer. And we're mindful of that too when we cut I am, I mean, I do not, and he's not, of the school of every line of dialogue has to be on camera. I'm totally a believer in following the emotion of the scene rather than just the dialogue of the scene. But if I'm delivering a piece of information that's important for the viewer to hang on to, to be able to follow a plot line or just a, just any kind of important tidbit we usually put that on camera it's like yeah give the viewer a fighting chance on this stuff i'm sure a lot of it just had to do with the alias experience of week after week just okay how do we make this simpler how do we make it clearer how do we make how do we give the audience a fighting chance you know <laughs> yeah it's uh, well, and i think even, about lost because that was well, we did the same thing yeah. on Lost. We did the same thing on Lost. I was only on Lost for the first year because mm-hmm. after the first year, then we went, we all, JJ and I moved over to Mission. And I know, I know that some of those charges were leveled against Lost. I personally really enjoyed the complexity of it, but there were definitely times when I didn't know. But I think with Lost, it was that was part, part of, of the like, mi- the yeah. mystery was part of the fun. Like I didn't know this, that's why I'm trying to figure this out myself. Right. And I think that was what made it so engaging, and that's why that's why I ended up on the internet looking for the ARGs and looking for these and engaging more with the content, which seems to be the future of media is interactivity. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you about Mission Impossible Three was the constant shift between fast and slow motion. How did you approach editing these particular scenes and did you pick anything up from this or? Well, that was also something that we had done in Alias a lot. Mm-hmm. We, it was a lot of slow motion stuff in Alias. And I remember, actually, I think it, it might've been Marianne or it could have been Jenny Katz, the other editor on, on Alias. I remember it was a style that was established early on and I rem- there were even like some fight scenes that were shot half fat you know half regular speed and half slow motion and I remember us saying to each other I can't cut a fight that's half slow motion and half regular speed and you know then you cut it and it's like kind of cool and people seem to like it and it looks okay and I just cut it you know I mean it wasn't really a philosophical kind of decision it was like I would have I'm sure that I had most of the stuff that was slow motion, I probably had in regular speed too. I'm thinking mostly in the bridge sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where I think I remember it coming up for me. And it was it tended to be those those really 
big moments like leaping over the chasm and the you know the big hole and trying to get to the other side of that before Philip Seymour Hoffman gets away or uh, it yeah I guess it tended to be the bigger moments in there and it's just a way for the I guess it just provides a a more hyper real way for the audience to experience the that moment but it also it lets you see it in greater detail, which is kind of cool, I guess. So that was my interview with Mary Jo. Lauren, yes. we have a new website. Cutting sure room, do. Cuttingroom.aotg.com. Yes. If you go there, what I've been doing is I've been uploading, we've uploaded all the podcasts. So there's, if you're in iTunes, there's certain podcasts you can't get anymore. Why? Uh, just because iTunes was having trouble with the amount of podcasts we were submitting. Oh. That they just can't keep up. I know. So, <laughs> I but don't. if you go to cuttingroom.aotg.com, mm -hmm. they're all there. Awesome. And Archives. That interviews with uh, Michael Tronic, mm -hmm. uh, that it, it, Iron Man, you know, interviews with the editors from Iron Man. Yeah, you had a lot more. of like, you hit the ground running after, yeah. I don't know, was that like your first podcast when you had some of the bigger guys from? Yeah, Michael Tronic and, and uh, Dan, Dan Lieventhal were my first two. Yeah, so don't think that like he just works his way up to the big guys. He's been batting a thousand from the very beginning, folks. Now, with this, I've also been writing little elements of it. So like what happened when I went to go interview them or what have you. A synopsis, if you will, yeah. show notes. We're trying to add extra stuff. And so what we've also done is we've utilized the AOTG database to give you extra content. So we're calling it Podcast Extras. So if you actually go to the site, and you look up a particular editor that we've interviewed. As I said, we've only got about the first 20 episodes filled in with content mm -hmm. on the page, but we've actually utilized our database to fill in extra interviews, extra articles, extra reviews. See, it's all, um, all cross-referenced. Exactly, so when you go there, so when you look up uh, Iron Man's a great example, we have the interviews, the video interviews with him placed into the uh, site so you can actually just watch them right there or you cool. can go to article interviews from creative cow all these extra mm -hmm. Sites did you have to listen to all the interviews to remember? You know what all was talked about in each one or have you been able to do it from memory my Stories around it usually involve what happened to me going there. So like Michael Tronic I talk about getting to go to the Disney lot so cool. and the old animation studios. Yeah um, District 9, I talk about going to the pub and meeting with Julia yeah. and discussing things. Iron Man, I talk about going to this very nondescript building that, meanwhile, they're cutting these massive right. films in. Oh, and for Alan Collins, I talk about our relationship right. prior to. But anyways, tons of stuff. Like, I can't tell you how much stuff we put in based on this AOTG database. And it's just, we're adding more and more every day. So every day I'm trying to write at least one or two extra little bits. Awesome. Okay, so all that said, there, we still got the app going. We still have yeah. lots of people using the app. Mm -hmm. uh, I highly recommend you download it. Mm -hmm. uh, one person did point out they, they had trouble turning off the, um, the push notification. So to do that, it's actually quite simple. You just go to your system settings on okay. your iPhone. So outside of the app. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think all push notifications are... Um, addressed outside of the app in your in your system settings a little note about iphones from lauren there you go resident iphone owner now all this said lauren forward film review 
Yes. Nobody so guessed. So I'm kind of surprised because I kind of thought last week's review, which was Tin Man Finds Heart. And first, let me just um, say, if you are new to the podcast and you have so much catching up to do, but I'll give you a quick little Coles notes. Uh, oh, that's so Canadian. I'll give you a quick refresher on what the forward film review is. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a film that's been distilled into four words. And based on those four words, we ask you to send us your guess as to what film is being uh, described. So last week we had Tin Man Finds Heart. And I thought, I said to Gord, oh, do people guess yada yada? And um, he expected that some people would guess a particular film, which is not the right film. But I wondered, and he said, no one guessed people. I can't believe this. And yeah. you know, normally I would call out, you know, like some of our tried and true emailers that, you know, always uh, engage with us. But you know what? I want some new names. And even if you're late, just, just respond and say hi sometime. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. But, you know, like, Peppo does not need to have this podcast riding on his shoulders. Like, he needs some time off. So somebody step yeah. up. And Glenn does not need to get, you know, his himself all worked or up. Or Jamie. Or any of these, these folks. So um, please, please guess. Because this week's review is just going to be on top of last week. So we start off with Tin Man Finds Heart. And this week is boy and droid bond so between those two someone knows this movie what's in it for you is you get to win a t-shirt yes. of your choosing yep if you already want a t-shirt let us know and we'll figure something else out well so okay so now you're thinking okay shut up i know what movie it is let me get my t-shirt so the way to do that is to email info at aotg.com or you can contact gord via twitter at Art Guillotine, or Facebook is facebook.com slash Art Guillotine. Yeah, and so the two are Tin Man Finds Heart and Boy and Droid Bond. Yeah, and speaking of winning things, yes. Post Chat has uh, somewhat taken off. It starts up again this February 2nd. Post Chat is an interactive uh, web Twitter thing. So basically you log in to your Twitter account through a tweet chat. Mm-hmm. And then you join us and several other people discussing a topic. And so each week we do a different post-production topic. So it's on Twitter? Yes. So how do you stay in, in the, the conversation? Loop. You log into a tweet chat. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. And Is it complicated, Gordon? No, if you go to postchat.aotg.com, yeah. it, it has instructions on how to do it. Fantastic. But that one's taking off a bit and we have a contest to help us get a logo. Oh, And fun. we're working on getting a software company to give us something to give away. Yes. Um, so I can't say what it is just yet because they haven't confirmed. But, but it's possible. all that said, we're also going to be doing post chats live. Mm-hmm. So in New York and Toronto, for sure, we're going to be doing them bi-monthly. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping to do one in Las Vegas for NAB. Cool. Okay, here's a question for you. Yes. Doing a post chat live in a location. What does that mean since it's online? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to have everyone could show up. There's going to be a very specific topic. So it'll mm-hmm. be, you know, this week we're talking about this. Of course, conversations are going to go in their own wherever direction. they go. Yeah. But the idea is that we're also going to stream it live. We're going to have cameras there. 
mm -hmm. capture it. That's cool. And people can tweet in and ask questions of people there, and people who are there, if they have their mobile device, can actually tweet out and just cool. what they're talking about mm -hmm. and interact with everyone. So it sort of becomes a more interactive thing, and it also gets people out of their editing room and into a pub. Yes, always a good thing. Yeah. Oh, so these are going to happen in a pub as opposed to at the actual event itself. Yeah, because uh, if we want to do an event at NAB, it's quite expensive. Um, so we're just going to have a AOTG pub night. Nice. And for the listeners, I genuinely do not know the answers to most of the questions I ask or on the podcast. Um, so I'm very interested to hear about what post chat is because Gord runs off and does his post chat all the time and I am always hearing, oh, I've got to go do post chat, see ya, and uh, disappears for, what, an hour yeah. each week? And then comes back and I just never really ask the question of where he's going, what he's doing. Yeah, so it's postchat.aotg.com mm -hmm. and of course the new Cutting Room yes. site is cuttingroom.aotg.com can people anticipate that there are going to be a lot of .aotg.com? Yeah, coming? I would almost, you can also put in aotg.com slash cutting room. Right. Goes to the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be cutting room, post chat, tech blog .aotg. Mm -hmm. We also have industry happenings, mm -hmm. which uh, was at WordPress. We've moved it over to our servers. Mm -hmm. And you can now actually keep up on all the industry uh, events. Cool. And so all of these are up and running? They're all up and running. We are promoting them, but because you're listening to this podcast, you get to hear about it. Awesome. Um, we are still tinkering a few things. Beta, beta testing. There you go. Beta you guys testing. can all play with them. Oh my gosh. And send us your comments. With all that said, Lauren. Yes. I'd like to thank Mary Jo Markey for allowing me to interview her. I'd mm -hmm. like to thank the American Cinema Editors for setting that up. Yep. I'd also like to thank my producer, Lauren Woodcock. You're welcome. Raquel. And I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.